But before we do that, I want to tell you that it is a privilege to fly from Detroit to L.A. and preach to you today. And that's no lie. A lot of times preachers come to your chapel, and they say that, but they lie. Amen? I heard the story recently about a little boy who was a pathological liar, always lying, continually, habitually. Those parents went to the minister and said, you've got to help us with our son. And the minister said, what's wrong? He said, it's our son. He's a liar. The preacher said, bring him to me. I'll fix him. The little boy walked in the door. And the preacher said, how you doing, son? And the little boy said, I'm fine, Rev. How about you? The preacher said, not too good. The little boy said, why? What's wrong? He said, on the way to work here today, son, a 3,000-pound gorilla, 3,000 pounds, son, picked me up and threw me across the room. He said, and then after I crashed through the brick wall, the brick wall, son, the gorilla picked up a Toyota and was going to crush me with it. But before he could, a three-pound dog, three pounds, son, came and pulled the gorilla off of me. But now, isn't that kind of hard to believe? The little boy said, uh-uh, because that was my dog. Some of you get that later and it'll mean a lot to you. No lie, it's a privilege to be here. I want to tell you, God sent me here. And He sent me here with a message for you. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. There the Apostle Paul says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. Oh, Holy Father, thank you for bringing me here. And I know you have, Lord. And so I beg you, confessing that I am nothing and you are everything, give us humility and wisdom and love. Feed and encourage your sheep, Spirit of God. Bless the Word of God. All who pray with me in Jesus' name, say amen. The Apostle Paul begins his letter to the church at Corinth actually with two words. Look at verse 3. If you have an English Bible like mine, you'll notice that the translators translated Paul's first statement, Blessed be God. But if you'll notice in the English Bible, the King James, there's something different about the word be. The reason is because the word be is in italics. Because it is not found in the original Scriptures. In other words, what Paul was actually saying here was, bless God. Now I know in a few moments some of you are going to wonder what denomination I am. And I'll tell you what I tell people when they interview me. I was educated in an independent Baptist university. I was ordained a Southern Baptist. For years I was a member of a free will Baptist church. I was born Catholic and raised Methodist. Someone asks all the time, well, what are you? I tell them why I'm a Christian. Of course. Some of you may be wondering what nationality I am. Well, 
My dad's a full-blooded Sicilian-Italian whose dad came over on the mafia boat lift in the 1900s. My mother is a Cherokee Indian. My dad's a full-blooded Italian and my mom's an Indian. I tell people, that makes me a Wapaho. But regardless of whether you examine my nationality, and regardless of whether or not you examine my denominational affiliation, let me know that down through 2,000 years of history, I am a young man who stands as Martin Luther did and said, Solatza Scriptura, Scripture only, and I stand with Paul with these two words and say, Bless God. Now I am not ashamed, nor am I concerned about what my brothers will think of me, nor am I afraid of the accolades and the approval of my brothers being lost to stand here and even go so far as to say, praise the Lord. And I want to go one step further than that. I have been known on occasion in instances of extreme dementia to actually lift my hands and say, Hallelujah! And I want you to know something. Traveling throughout the denominational spectrum of the United States, I'm noticing something. The churches in America that are moving and shaking their communities are the churches who are praising the Lord. When is it time to praise the Lord? Amen. You can give God a hand if you want. Amen. I want to tell you something. When is it time to praise the Lord? Well, Psalm 113, verse 3 says, From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. When will we stop praising the Lord? Psalm 111, verse 10 says, His name is to be praised eternally. Now, I know what some of you are saying right now. That's okay for a Wapaho. But I'm not the emotional cause. Uh-huh. I can see it now. It's the fourth quarter. There's two seconds on the scoreboard. The Mustangs have just dropped in the winning basket and beat Biola. 3,000 fans go berserk. The radio commentator says, this is the greatest game we've ever seen. Grown men are leaping like lizards in their living room. And you sit there and say, I'm not the emotional cause. Do you know what the truth is, my friends? The people of America are excited about baseball and football and hockey and soccer and basketball. Well, I want you to know, standing in this pulpit this morning is a young man who's excited about a Savior who is alive. A young man who can talk about a Jesus Christ who can do what our sister so wonderfully sung about, who can reach down into the miry pits and pick up drug addicts and alcoholics and dopeheads and turn them into shining examples of what society should be made up of. And so if I'm the only one this morning, if alone I must stand with the seraphim and the cherubim, I will feel in good company as with the Apostle Paul. Two thousand years later I say, bless God. Bless God. Now, which God are I blessing? It's important to notice this. Follow now. Which God am I blessing? Notice what Paul says secondly. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch God's Word now. Look at God's Word. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you start saying praise the Lord in America today, you better be careful. 
A lot of people say, praise the Lord. Believe me, a lot of the cults have adapted the vernacular of fundamentalist Christianity and evangelical Christianity. And they'll say, praise the Lord. And they'll say, bless God. But when they say, praise the Lord, they don't mean El Shaddai. They don't mean El Roi and El Elyam. They don't mean Yahweh, Yahweh Rophe, Yahweh Tekenu, and Yahweh Shalom. They mean Krishna and moon and grapefruits or whatever else. <laughs> so I want you to know the God that I'm praising, the God whose gates I enter with thanksgiving, the God whose courts I come into with praise, the one whom I rejoice in always. And again, I try to continue to rejoice. I praise the Father of Yeshua HaMashiach. I praise the Father of Jesus Christ. Someone recently on an airplane was riding with me and he told me what denomination he was and he told me he didn't believe everything. And I said, well, that's okay. And he was a minister. And finally he got to the place where he said, and the doctrine I hate the most is the one about the virgin birth. He said, that's not really important. I said, it is important. He said, well, explain it to me. I said, let me give you a little bit of Detroit street theology. The virgin birth means that the invisible, inexpressible, incomprehensible Yahweh God, the creator of the cosmos, the one who designed the infinite regressive causes, the second law of thermodynamics, that God is Jesus' daddy. And he had no earthly father besides him. Then I told him he ought to get an honest God. Bless God. Which God? The Father of Jesus. Notice, secondly, the Father of mercy. Notice, look at God's Word, the Father of mercy. I like that. God is the Father of mercy. Now, I never knew what mercy was until I had children. The reason some of you don't praise the Lord is because you don't know what mercy is. You don't know how much you've been forgiven of. You're like my grandmother Cleo in the hills of West Virginia, sitting in a rocking chair one day. I said, Grandmother, do you remember the Great Depression? She said, I sure do. I said, do you remember when it ended? She said, is it over? <laughs> you don't even know what mercy and grace has been poured out upon you. You're not even aware of what love has been shed abroad in your hearts and what power it has to change society if you can release it through your life. Father of mercy. I tell you, the reason I can preach about the Father of mercy is I have five children. Four girls and one boy. I never said I was rich. I'm sure not wise. Amen. I always wanted a son so I could name him Giuseppe after my grandpa, Giuseppe. So my wife got pregnant with our first child. It was wonderful. I went around telling everybody, this is my wife Nancy, this is my son Joseph. They said, you know, it's a boy. I said, of course it's a boy. I prayed for a boy. It's a boy. I went to all those classes, you know, you can go to. Your wife's going to have a baby. I went in the delivery room. Mr. Girl, I promised God if he'd give me a son, I'd dedicate him to the Lord. So I took little Joseph in a little bath and said, here, he's yours. Don't leave here saying he hates girls. I love girls. I married a girl. <laughs> so my wife got pregnant again. We were on our way into the living room and I told my wife, don't feel any pressure about having a son. <laughs> But if you don't, don't come back home. 
the living room and I got ready again. And there was another girl. I took the little girl and said, here, you can have her. We have twin daughters, Mary and Sarah, and they're all so precious to me. But then when I was at the University of Lynchburg, my wife got pregnant again. We went to all those things you go to, you know, and on the way to the living room, I saw the prayer chapel. I went in the prayer chapel. The orderly says, you know, you can go in the living room. I says, I know, but I'm going in here. He said, you're not going in there? I said, no, I'm going in here. He said, why? I said, because if it's not a boy now, it'll be one before it gets out of there. I went in the prayer chapel and I started calling on God to give me a son. A few minutes later, the guy came in and said, uh, the nurse came in and said, uh, a few minutes later, I should say 11 hours later, the nurse came in and she said, is your wife having a baby? I want to say, no, I always come here to do my devotion. <laughs> yes, I said. She said, well, she just had an 11 pound, 13 ounce baby boy. That's what I said. Glory to God! And I named him Joseph. And my, what a little boy he's turned out to be. He's the only boy I've gotten. So he mimics me. If I walk like this, Joseph walks like this. If I fold my hands, he folds his hands. We were preaching in a little uh, free will Baptist church up somewhere. And, and the, you know, the free will Baptists really get with it. They were saying, Amen. Yes, glory to God. Amen. Preach, preach, preach. We were going on. All of a sudden, when he was two years old, three years old, way in the back, a little voice said, Amen. Preach the Word of God, Daddy. <laughs> preach the Word of God. I went around telling everybody, isn't he cute? Isn't he precious? He said, preach the Word of God. I told everybody, one week later, he was doing what all three-year-olds love to do, and that's poor. The only problem is when you're three years old, you don't know the meaning of full. And so he was pouring, and I said, you're going to get a swat on your wrist if you do that again with the stick. And so he was pouring it again, and I took the stick, and I was going to give him a swat, but right before he could, he said, Preach the Word of God, Daddy. Preach, preach, preach. I fell down in the floor laughing. We came home one day, and I heard somebody yelling in the back bedroom, Jehovah, He is the God. I went in there and looked, and he had his toy box turned upside down. He had a little New Testament Bible open. His twin sisters were sitting there in front of the toy box like this. Standing there in his He-Man underwear. He said, and Jesus Christ, do you know what he did for you? He stopped and went like this. He said, he died for you. It wasn't just a few months ago I put him to bed. I read him the story of Abbot the Rabbit, and he said, Dad, come here, i got something to tell you. I said, what is it? He said, come here. I said, okay. I said, you what? He said, I got saved. I said, what do you mean you got saved? He said, I want Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I said, did you ask him to? He said, yes. I said, did he? He said, I want you to know I love that little boy. He walks like I can't imagine anything ever happening to him. But let me tell you what mercy is. God only had one little baby boy. His name was Jesus. And Jesus said, all that I see my Father do, that's what I do. All that I hear my Father say, that's what I say. And you listen to me, young person, struggling with your studies, struggling to discover who you are in Jesus Christ. For God so loved you 
that he gave that one little baby boy to have nails driven through the bones that join the wrist to the hand, to have nails driven through the feet until you can hear the crunching of tendons and muscle and blood spurted out on the ground. He gave that one and only begotten son to have a spear in his side and his beard ripped out. That, my friends, is mercy. God created the worlds with a word, did He not? Then could He not have set the worlds right with a word? Yes, but He didn't. He sent His Son to the old rugged cross. And so I bless God. I bless the Father of Jesus. I bless the Father of mercies. And then finally, as we move toward a close, I bless the God of all comfort. Come on, look at it. Verse 3. The God of all comfort. Now there's a play on words here. The word comfort there comes from a root Greek word, which is the word parakletos. And it means literally one who is called beside you to strengthen and motivate and encourage you. And so, if you'll allow me this morning, I want to bless the God of all encouragement. Now, history is replete with examples of how God encourages. You remember the story of Moses? How many of you are aware that Moses had a speech defect? Let me see your hand. He probably stuttered. Now, what I'm trying to say is I see the call of Moses a little bit differently than you and I do. I see Moses as keeping his father-in-law's sheep and he's walking out there in the desert and all of a sudden this tremendous voice that created the cosmos says, Moses! Moses! I see Moses going, Pardon? The Lord says, Moses, take the shoes from off of your feet for the ground you stand on is holy ground. And Moses says, he takes his shoes off. Now watch God. Watch what God does. He says, Moses, I want you to go speak to Pharaoh. I want you to go say to the President of the United States of the world. I want you to go talk to him and tell him, I said, let my people go. Moses said, you don't understand, God. I can't talk too good. Send Aaron. He can talk real good, God. But I'm just a shepherd. But you give Moses a few days with the God of all encouragement. Aaron throws his stick down. His stick miraculously turns into a snake. And then the sorcerers throw their sticks down. Their sticks turn into snakes. And then Aaron's stick that turned into a snake eats up all of the sorcerer's sticks that turn into snakes. Moses walks over, picks up Aaron's stick, says, Step aside, Aaron. Pharaoh, I want to talk to you about a couple things. I want to ask you something. Who encouraged Moses, my brothers? Who encouraged Moses, my sisters? Who got to him and said, Moses, the greatest ability isn't speaking ability, but availability and dependability and accountability? Who got to Moses and said, Moses, it's not what you do with your mouth, it's what abides in your heart that counts to God. I'll tell you who did. The God of all encouragement. Your God and my God. And He'll encourage you too this morning if you let Him. How about Samson in the Bible? I love the story of Samson. One of my favorite stories. Samson was a powerful man. A man so powerful that with the jawbone of a mule, he killed 1,000 Philistines. Now, I love to hear theologians explain the miracles of the Bible. What they really mean is they're going to explain them away. I want you to know, I believe Samson killed 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a mule. And I can tell you how he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a mule. You learn those things in Detroit. He took the jawbone of a mule, and when one came from the front, he went boom and crushed his skull. 
When one came from the back, he went boom and crushed his skull. When one came from the side, he went boom and crushed his skull. When they came from all sides, he went boom, 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 like a giant piece of spirit-empowered machinery until a thousand enemies lay dead under the power of God. You take away the power of God. You take away the divine anointing. Samson's as helpless as a newborn baby with his eyes plucked out, treading out corn like an ox. But I like this fight. Down there in that dungeon, I was I like that. I think that means he started praying. I think down there treading out that corn, he starts saying, Oh man, I blew it. Oh God, I'm sorry. Forgive me, God. Cleanse me, God. I'm sorry. Please, God. If there's any way you can use me, use me one more time. Then one day a little boy said, Samson, the Philistines were up on the roof. They're partying. They're getting drunk. They want us to bring you out there so you can flex for them. Samson said, good boy, leave me out there. The little boy dragged Samson out there. Samson flexed for about a half hour. Then he said, I need to rest. Uh, put me over by the pillars that hold the roof up. And the little boy said, sure. Samson rested on the pillars. And then he looked up to heaven with those hollow-eyed eyes. And this is what he said. God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, one more time, avenge me of my adversaries in my eyes. And he bowed himself and he pushed with all of his might and the pillars crumbled and he killed more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life. That's not the great miracle of that story. Listen to me, my friend. My brother and my sister. Listen. You know what the real miracle of that Down in that dungeon. Down where nobody saw. Nobody saw. Down where everybody had given up on him and thought he was a bum and a... Who got to Samson and said, Samson, you're down, but you're not out. You're discouraged, but you're not defeated. You failed, but you're not finished, Samson. God can still use you, and He can still bless you, because He will always bless repentance. I'll tell you who did. Your God and my God, the God of all encouragement. He'll encourage you right now, this morning, if you'll let Him. You say, oh, Rick, that's all Old Testament stuff. No, it's not. How about Paul and Silas? I like that story. You, you, you think I'm radical? They put Paul and Silas in jail for preaching. About 12 midnight, Paul said, Silas woke up. He said, What are you doing, Paul? Paul said, I'm singing. And Silas said, I know, but why? He said, I didn't mean to wake up, Silas. It's Jesus. i got to tell you, Silas, I know whom I have believed in. And I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things pal, present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Silas, Jesus is king. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on it. Sit on attack. Sit on attack. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. He can sit on attack to stay. They started praising and praying. And before long, those who sent sounds to heaven heard sounds from heaven. A mighty earthquake came and shook the building where they were. All the prisoners... Bonds fell off of them, and the Roman centurion, knowing that the punishment for relinquishment of duty was death, took a sword and was going to kill himself. But before he could, Paul poked his head out and said, Don't do it, bud. Nobody's gone anywhere. We're having a revival in here. Come and join us. And he did. 
Oh, the story goes on and on and on. So limited for time. But I want to tell you the key to understanding how God encourages people. It's verse 4. Who encourages us in all our tribulation. God wants to meet you at your point of brokenness. In your crisis in this semester of your school year, listen to me. This is where God wants to meet you. Today's prosperity theology doesn't go along with that. You know the preachers preaching today? God wants everybody rich. God wants everybody happy. So give me all of your money and I will be rich and happy. God never lets anybody get sick. God never lets anybody get in trouble. Remember the story of the children of Israel when they grumbled and God sent fiery snakes to bite them. Come on, say amen. You remember? Say amen if you remember the story. They went to Moses and said, Moses, tell God to forgive us. We're sorry. We've sinned against God. So Moses said, God, they're sorry. Please forgive them. And God said, okay, Moses, go take bronze, make a stick, hold it up in the air, and everybody who looks at the bronze stick will be saved. Now, if that had been me or you or any preacher today, we would have said you don't seem to understand. See, the snakes, they're biting us. <laughs> and when they bite us, it hurts real bad. So just kill the snakes, okay? Or if you can't kill the snakes, just take their fangs out so they can just gum us a little, all right? Because <laughs> snake bites really hurt bad. Listen to me. God could have killed the devil a long time ago, but He didn't. He sent His Son to the old rugged cross. And the answer for suffering in this world goes to eternity past when Satan and one-third of his angels rebelled against God. Most despots crush a rebellion, but not God. He let the devil have his say. And all of the suffering and all of the pain in all of humanity for all of history has been God showing mankind the devil's alternative. In the midst of that, God wants to meet you. He wants to encourage you. My time is gone, so I want to show you how He encourages you. By the encouragement wherewith we ourselves are encouraged of God, verse 4 says, we encourage them which are in any trouble. You see, I know what it means to be encouraged. I wish you could have seen me when I first got saved. I had on a pair of black pants, a black crushed velvet blazer, a black sweater, a huge afro, and high-heeled orange shoes. I went into a church to mock the preacher stoned out of my mind on marijuana and PCP. For the first time in my life, somebody told me Christianity wasn't rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. It was Jesus. You could know Him. His love. And though I went in determined to mock the minister, I left determined to become a minister. And I did very early when I was 16. To make a long story short, I got into the fast lane of religion. Big time Christianity. In 1986, Without wealth, I was over $100,000 in debt. Without friends, no one, but no one wanted me to get anywhere near their pulpit to preach. I was defeated and destroyed. And I just wanted to die. And I looked up to heaven and said, God, you don't understand. I'm Rick Amato. I got five kids. You can't do this to me. And the gentle whisper of God's voice in my conscience 
I heard him say to me, No, you don't understand. I am holy. And I will be called holy by every man who draws me to call upon me. And my dad came my dad and said, Son, Jesus said it would be better to go through life without hands, without feet, without legs than to go into hell. Son, it would be better for you to have a colostomy and be real than have be whole and be like the rest of us. I made up my mind. Maybe I couldn't preach, but I could pray. Maybe I couldn't be in public, but I could get out on my knees and call on God. And so, I got up. When the, one of the doctors came into my room, he said, Aren't you a minister? I said, Yes. He said, What are you doing moping around? I said, It's terrible having this bag. He said, May I say something to you candidly? I said, Yes. He said, Rise, take up your bag, and walk. And I did. First, I just started giving a testimony. Then I started taking money, enormous amounts that I would earn, and I would pay back all of my bills. The next thing I knew, I started preaching, and doors began to open, and I discovered that my ministry wasn't over. My ministry had not yet begun. And God began to open doors, but I still had that bag. So I went back to the surgeon and said, put me back together again. He said, I'm sorry, I can't. He said, we've discovered some abnormalities in your colon called Crohn's disease, a degenerative disease of the bowels. He said, we can't put you back together. You'll get peritonitis again and die. I went to a specialist, Dr. William Beauregard at William Beaumont Hospital. He examined me and looked at biopsies. He said, wear this bag and the specialist say, I have to please, Lord. Let them put me back together. And I know some of you won't like this theologically, but the only witnesses I have are seagulls. I heard that gentle whisper of God again inside my heart, in my conscience. And this is what he seemed to say. I called my wife Nancy. I said, Nancy, call the University of Michigan. I'm going to see their specialist. She said, oh, Rich, don't do that. I said, I've been healed. I said, I've been healed. She said, by whom? I said, by Christ. Being good Baptist, she said, what do you want me to do about it? I said, call the U of M. She said, don't do this. You're in for another big debt down. You're getting your hopes up for no reason. I said, call him. She did. Picked me up in the hospital. The fellow examined me. He did biopsies. Dr. Keith Henley, a world-renowned gastroenterologist from the University of Michigan, did biopsies. He came in and said, sit down, Mr. Motto. I sat down. He said, who told you you had Crohn's disease? I said, Dr. Barber from Oakwood and Dr. Beauregard from Beaumont. He said, did they do biopsies? I said, yes. He said, first, may I say I have the utmost of respect for my colleagues. Secondly, may I say they've made a mistake. He said, you don't have Crohn's disease. You don't have any disease. To show you it wasn't my faith, but the sovereign purpose of God that I might proclaim the message of the cross to you today. I said, Crohn's disease goes in remission. Maybe it's in remission. He said, if it was in remission, you'd have scar tissue. He said, Mr. Motto, your bowels look like... I want you to know my time is gone. But I stand here today a whole man. And what's more than that, God's opened up the doors of the world for us to preach the message of the cross to. And so I've come here today to say one thing to you. Be encouraged. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, faculty and staff, students alike, be encouraged. In my last two minutes, I want to show you how God encourages. Now, I'd love to meet John MacArthur someday. That's a dream of my life. Thank you, brother. I'd like to get to know all of you. I'd like to come back. I'm going to do something so controversial right now, I may never get invited back. I'm going to show you how God encourages people. Now this is deep. 